We want to hear your New Year's resolutions for Las Vegas. Leave us a voicemail or send us a text at 702-514-0719. Here's a prompt to get you started. Hey, CityCast, it's me. My name is yada yada, and my resolution for Las Vegas is blah, 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 blah. Ring us up. That number again, 702-514-0719. We want to hear what your resolutions for the city are all about. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I am joined by co-host David Figler. Hey, David. Hey there. And newsletter editor Scott Dickensheets. Howdy. Howdy. Um, you know, this week's news, man, it's it's really got me thinking. There's a lot of stuff to debate and, and mull over. We're going to talk about the Chinatown shooting victims' new lawsuit, what the Red Rock fee hikes mean, and some of the notable figures that Las Vegas lost this year. It's Friday, December 16th, 2022. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. All right, you guys, I'm sure you remember the news about the Chinatown waiter who was shot in Shanghai Plaza about a year ago. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, about a year ago that this happened. And uh, he was shot 11 times, had to be hospitalized, pretty severe injuries. They just sentenced his shooter to 7 to 18 years in prison this week. On the heels of that, though, we just got news that the waiter, Chen Yan Wang, is now suing the plaza where it happened, Shanghai Plaza, the gunman himself, and also on top of this, a nonprofit group, which is um, called the Bail Project Incorporated, which had actually bailed out the shooter a few days before the shooting. Um, I'm kind of surprised and kind of not surprised. It seems like medical bills these days force people to ta- undertake legal action just to to pay for huge hospital um, fees and and so forth. But I'm kind of surprised by the fact that he's going after the bail project. What's up with that? Is this waiter justifying his complaint against the bail project? Well, that's a good question. To me, the concern that I have or the, the thought that I have is bail reform seems like a necessarily messy trial and error kind of process. And lawsuits, I, I think by their nature, sort of tend to impose a black or white, yes or no, guilty or not guilty sort of judgment on something. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons that bail reform is needed, at least in the eyes of many people. And so will a lawsuit like this make it harder for us to get through that sort of trial and error phase where a society gropes toward a fairer conception of of bail? Now, I don't I don't begrudge the guy his attempt to, you know, Sue them all. Sue them all. I mean, that is a concept in modern American, you know, legal circles. Sue them all. Let's throw that spaghetti. Let's see what sticks. And hey, if I if I'd been shot eleven times, I'd you know, there's no end to who I might sue. But in a in a larger sort of social focus on this, I wonder if it'll make it harder for us to get farther down the road if this lawsuit succeeds and others are inspired. Or, or also succeed. You know, Sonia, um, and I'm really curious what you think about this, because 
you know, from a from a legal standpoint, anyone can sue anyone, even you know. But I, I don't think that this is going to go anywhere. But if it does, do you think that this is you know like an entry into I don't know the culture wars? I mean, isn't there kind of this subset? Uh, when you talk about the culture wars or being woke or being soft on crime, which are all part of this discussion, right? It certainly was in our last election cycle. Do you think this will have an impact if somehow this lawsuit makes it further that this is another entry or gets denied another entry in the culture war? Yeah, I mean, I, regardless of the outcome of the lawsuit, I feel like this is already a symptom, right? Mm. To me, and there's like a, a, a racial overlay here from what I'm seeing as rising levels of fear and um, concern about safety amongst Asian Americans. Mm. Um, I hear that narrative amongst folks in my own family. Um, and the fact that he, he's going after the bail project itself is just seems very telling to me. Like the, the culpability, I guess, in from his point of view, has something to do with like our criminal justice system, right? That we need more security, more safety, more punitive elements to a system to keep people incarcerated. And hearing those narratives come out of the Asian American community, rising narrative is is worrying to me. But given how Asian Americans have been the victim of a lot of violent crime over the last couple of years, I mean, it's hard to say, like, if they don't feel like they're getting any recourse, if they're not, you know, if they're not they don't have adequate protections, then, you know, where do they turn? So um, if, if punitive measures is where they see the answer, I guess, um, that that's where they're going to turn. I think we saw that a lot, like in California, um, with the recall of uh, Chesa Boudin, the um, notoriously, if you want, pro- progressive um, prosecutor in San Francisco. A lot of Asian Americans rallied to the cause of, of removing him. There's a heavy Asian American population in the, in the San Francisco um, area. So that, that narrative, I think, is going to be a strong one that future politicians are really going to um, be able to draw on when they, when they speak to the Asian American uh, voting population here. Uh, the inconvenient constitution, though, always is the spoiler. Yeah. So, so which, you know, can be amended, can be interpreted throughout the courts, right? So, well, I mean, the, the bail thing goes all the way back to the beginning and before. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's ingrained. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is nuanced in a lot of ways. But ultimately, a lawsuit like this, I, I think, just backs into that conversation without any real benefit to the individual involved. I mean, what mm. is justice in a civil suit, in a criminal case, et cetera? These are yeah. very elusive concepts. And, you know, we could talk about it for days and weeks, but people aren't talking about it for minutes. They just, you know, look at their knee and whichever way it jerks right. seems to be the answer. And that's rough. Yeah. No, it's just an unhappy situation for everyone involved. And I think a lot of people kind of get backed into corners where they have to make these decisions, right? I mean, I, I I can't imagine that an immigrant from China working in a restaurant at 3 a.m. has the funds available to pay for, like, a hugely expensive hospital bill. So, yeah, who knows what the motivations are there? Sure. I mean, just suggesting that this do-gooder nonprofit that, you know, is asserting the rights of literally the Constitution uh, had some duty to vet him to make sure he wouldn't go out and do things when that's not their role. And anyone can post bail. You could post bail. Mm. I could post bail. And we could just do it in the in the interest of principle. I, I think it's a, a specious argument. And I don't know to what end. Um, it's just unfortunate because it's going to make a lot of people really turn against this very important concept. Well, let's go on to our next topic. We're going to be talking about hikes and not the good kind at Red Rock Canyon. Uh, Scott, did you like that dad joke? 
<laughs> so good. As a dad, yes, I appreciated it. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, tell us about what's going on at Red Rock Canyon. So starting January 1st, it's going to cost a little bit more to get into Red Rock. Uh, according to my badly hand-scrawled notes, it's going to go up from $15 a car to $20. For a bicyclist, it's going up from 5 to $8. Annual passes are going up from like 30 to 50 bucks. Camping fees are going up. Although, oddly, it's... Um, the fees for motorcycles and pedestrians are staying the same. I frankly have no idea what the rationale behind, you know, who gets charged more and who gets charged less or not, or who, whose fee doesn't change. I mean, frankly, if, you know, why is a, why raise the, the fee on a bicyclist and not a motorcyclist? I think if you pedal all the way to Red Rock, you know, someone should pay you, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like- Get a gold star you know, at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like here's a few bucks for keeping some carbon out of the air with the thanks of a grateful nation. Uh, but anyway, that's, it's going to cost a little bit more starting January 1st. And I think the rationale is uh, kind of twofold. One is that it'll help pay for maintenance and amenities um, in the park, but also that it might it might help you know ease overcrowding by perhaps discouraging a, a few people from going, uh, at least as often as they do, perhaps. I suppose the question is like, who gets discouraged? Right, 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 right. Well, on that note, what do we think about the ostensible reason for the fee hikes, uh, that overcrowding at Red Rock is a problem? How do we feel about this solution? Well, there's there's only so much space up there. I mean, they're a victim of their own success. That is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. I'm saying it. Hmm. One of the most hey. beautiful places on Earth, at That's least that right. I've ever encountered. Um, Red Rock represent. Yes. Red Rock. And, and a lot of people want to go there. I, I mean, we, we see this in, in our neighboring states as well, Zion and, and Bryce and stuff. You know, they, they also get these overcrowding situations. And sometimes overcrowding can be dangerous. It's not just a matter of too many people in one area. It's like the, the problems of too many people in one area. And I, I have noticed, uh, you know, certainly an uptick as, as Red Rock uh, is on more and more tourists' radar and our population grows. And it's definitely a place that people want to be. So I understand they need to kind of try to control it. And the you know status quo mindset is if you charge more uh, to have people come in, it's going to be less people, so we don't have that worry. But like, to your point, Sonia, you know, who's excluded? And it's people who can't afford it. And I, I, I think that there might be other solutions that are out there. Um, hmm. To, to maybe not make it as inequitable. I mean, a lot of the cars that, um, have you been out to Red Rock lately and just see the cars, because everybody wants to walk in because you can't drive in at certain places. So the cars like line the highway, yeah. like all over and that's hazardous right. and people are crossing in the cars and stuff. I think there should yeah. be a way to incentivize less cars. I think there should be public transit mm -hmm. that takes people out to Red Rock and that if you use public transit, then, you know, you wouldn't have to, to pay these fees or, you know, just a way to, to stop the congestion and all the negative things that come with the success of having a beautiful place that people want to see. Yeah, no, 100%. I was just thinking about Zion. You mentioned Zion. You know, you can't actually drive your own car into that Zion loop. You have to park outside at this big parking lot and then you get on that, what, what is that, that big shuttle bus that right. takes you around to yeah. all the little trailheads and so forth, which I mean, to be fair, is kind of a pain. In some ways, you got to like wait for the bus to go around and so forth. But it keeps those cars out of those really pristine, beautiful places in the middle of Zion. Should we should we have something like that in, in uh, Red Rock? Well, I I think that might be a viable idea. I know the last time I went out there with my family to hike, 
we had to circle the parking lot like 20 times wow. before someone left. And other people were parking you know, down the road on the side of the road and then walking back up, which is not the safest way to go. So, you know, I, I agree with, with David. I, I like the public transport idea. I think that I think there's some real merit there. Otherwise, let's arm the boroughs and have them be like... <laughs> the, the boroughs need those guns for self-defense, you know? That's right. <laughs> I will tell you this about my Red Rock. As much as I love it, I've often joked, but not really a joke, that I truly appreciate it from the safety and convenience of my automobile along the loop. <laughs> I like <laughs> Says David, the reluctant hiker. The reluctant hiker. I always have preferred driving around it than actually getting on my feet and walking and experiencing it, you know. So mm-hmm. I- I'm I'm a car culture person, uh, you know, repentantly, but still not so repentant that I've stopped. I think I, I should be punished for wanting to do that. I, you know, uh, call it self-flagellation here, but I know we have something special, but I'm just not sure how we can be the good stewards, how we can make sure that we're doing the right thing without pissing some group of people off. And right now it's these fee hikes. I, I think that they need to figure out a way how to make it more equitable. You know, there there are organizations in our community, in Las Vegas, nonprofits that uh, have as part of their mission getting kids that typically don't ever travel more than a mile from their home. I mean, that's a real mm-hmm. stat uh, impoverished mm-hmm. areas to become stewards of the community of the outdoors. Get Outdoors Nevada, I believe is the name of that. But, you know, that mission needs to be served and raising fees doesn't do that. So maybe, you know, the rich people in our community can shoulder some of those fees as long as we're, you know, supplementing those who don't have that resource. Sure. Or what about like a sliding scale, right? Like I, I, Ooh, I think sliding scale, go. right? People, if, they, if they're feeling so inclined and they want to donate a little extra or they, you know, or maybe there's a, a benefit for people who are carpooling. If you have four people in your car or more, uh, then you get a little discount. Or um, what if, you know, we had programs tied to, as you said, like Get Outdoors Nevada or other programs, you know, say downtown that get folks out outdoors. Just, I think there's a lot of ways you can play with fees that don't just mean a fee hike. One other thought I had is, I wonder if the recent promised designation of Avicua May as a national monument will kind of help siphon off some of the crowds at Red Rock towards another part of the valley that's I think probably just as beautiful in some ways. So um, maybe encouraging folks to check out other nature areas that aren't just Red Rock could help uh, alleviate some of the pressure out there. I don't know. What are some other hikes people should check out that's not Red Rock? It's like, hey, everybody, let's go ruin this other nice place. Let's go <laughs> okay, ruin okay. the wetlands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the wetlands. Wetlands does has plenty of space. You should check out the wetlands. There's real, I mean, talk about easy hikes and also real splendid beauty. And the Henderson Bird Preserve, that's a nice thats a nice hike, too, it, or a nice walk. It's not a hike. It's a nice walk, and especially, like, during migratory seasons and and so on. And Mount Charleston and Valley of Fire and yeah. all the various trails, the hundreds of miles of trails throughout. Even the city itself are fun for hikes. So, you know, there's a lot. Right. Look, you always are going to have a vista in Las Vegas. We're blessed with, you know, mm. natural beauty all around us. Maybe not as up close and personal as Red Rock, but definitely get that fresh air, get your feet a pumping. 
uh, and watch me looking at you from my car waving and congratulating you. Good job. (laughs) Good job. I, too, am an avid indoorsman, Dave, so I will be uh, in the car right behind you. You guys should carpool. Come on. Come on. Caravan. Caravan. There you go. Caravan. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Next CityCast outing. Well, let's go on to our last big topic of the day, a little more of a solemn one. We've uh, seen some major losses in Las Vegas, some, some really pivotal figures here in town who have passed on. Of course, the tragic murder of Jeff Gehrman, RJ investigative reporter, Bonnie Polly, David, who you memorialized mm-hmm. in a recent episode of CityCast, uh, who was a, a beloved chaplain and minister to, to folks who were uh, incarcerated in, in, the, in the legal system. And then a uh, third person I think you've also mentioned, David, is uh, indie musician Blair DeWayne. Um, is something happening for him this weekend? Yeah, it's uh, Blair Fest all weekend. It's uh, a lot of the bands that he touched because he was very big on promoting the local scene as well a- 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 as as much as being a part of it uh, and being a very talented musician in a number of different bands. So a lot of bands are assembling in his honor. And that is mostly happening at the Sandour Lounge downtown at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, and so people could check that out on uh, Friday and Saturday night. And then they're doing some other karaoke on Sunday because he used to host karaoke nights too. So it's a nice celebration oh. of Blair's life. Yeah, for sure. And our friends over at uh, KNPR had a nice uh, piece on it um, mm. with Ryan Party, one of his close friends and a, another musician in town. And that's worth checking out. Oh, that's lovely. So go check that out. But I'm also curious to hear from you. Who are some of the lesser known folks who've passed on this year um, that, that in our city, in Las Vegas? And, and what, what was their impact? So there are a lot of folks in our community who we lost. Uh, and, and, you know, to try to list them all would take far too long. And leaving out any is meant, obviously, is no offense uh, to any of them because they're all very important to people in the community. Some close friends, I'm not even going to mention their names, but, you know, it's always hard. Uh, some yeah. some notable folks in the community who have been in the community for a really long time. You know, I want to mention Dr. Stephanie Youngblood passed away this year. Um, she was a chiropractor to almost everyone I know. <laughs> Random strangers would ask for recommendations. Mm-hmm. She was very big on, you know, being a dedicated healer in the community. She was a community activist. Um, she traveled the world and brought all these kind of wonderful and beautiful things back to Las Vegas. Uh, I know she she served on the board of trustees for the Neon Museum in its very early informative years. So she she was definitely a a, a source of light and it being extinguished is, is, is quite sad. Um, another person I wanted to mention was James Blasco. Uh, Jim Blasco was raised in Las Vegas. Um, he and and, and his family uh, before him were major developers here in the community. If you know Spanish Trail, uh, which is, I think, the first and biggest real big master plan community in, in Southern Nevada, his family was involved in that. He was involved in that. And he and his wife, Pam, uh, were stalwarts in the community for uh children with with special needs and and their families and supporting them, uh, building buildings for them, creating foundations for them. Uh, And then, you know, uh, later on, they, in addition to all their philanthropic efforts, which were quite notable, uh, they decided to get into uh, medical marijuana uh, because they had a very personal story uh, impacting their, their two of their uh, adult children um, who had uh, severe special needs and 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 really wound up even getting uh, humanitarian awards from the cannabis industry for that. So uh, hmm. Jim Blasco's loss to community is huge. What about you, Scott? 
Well, I want to just throw out a few words on behalf of somebody whose death did make the news, but briefly, and I don't think was adequately memorialized, and that's uh, Clarence Gilliard. Mm. You know him as an actor from, um, he was uh, Chuck Norris's sidekick in Walker, Texas Ranger. He was in Die Hard. He was the quarterback is toast guy, um, one of the robbers. One of the great Christmas movies of all time. One of the great Christmas movies of all time. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> uh, but he he wound up uh, as a professor of, of in the film department at UNLV. And um, I, I can't say I knew him well, but I interviewed him a few times. And I found him to be one of the most gracious, thoughtful people I've ever talked to. He asked as many questions of me and my life as I asked of him. Mm. And um, and one of the reasons I talked to him was a couple of years ago, there was, you know, somebody bought the, the Die Hard Battery franchise and they released a sort of long form commercial in which uh, Clarence and Bruce Willis sort of reprised their roles. And Clarence being Clarence, he leveraged that into a Zoom talk with the people who made the commercial and his students so that they could talk to these Hollywood you know, producers and get their knowledge and pick their brains and so on. So he was a formidable guy and uh, very funny. Somewhere you can look up his his story of uh, how he got the uh, the role in Die Hard. It's a very funny guy and uh, mm. very gracious and, and had a lot of really interesting thoughts about how art could be used to, like, you know, promote spiritual and, and intellectual growth as well as just be entertaining. That's amazing. How about you, Sonia? Well, you know, I wanted to quickly mention that uh, UNLV News Center recently uh, mentioned the passing of a uh, philanthropist in the community named Kitty Rodman. And I was reading about her and I was just like, wow, she was one of the first women in the construction industry in Las Vegas, which is like such a cool thing to hear about. Um, she passed this year when she was um, 88, but she was also um, deeply involved for 40 years with Opportunity Village and also with helping women. Uh, she was a member of Executive Women International, so um, encouraging women along their professional careers. So shout out to some of the, the powerful women trailblazing their way through Las Vegas decades ago. Uh, Kitty Rodman. I wanted to also mention, you know, on the note of Jeff Gehrman, uh, Scott, I know that the RJ saw a lot of losses this year uh, from their masthead, and he wasn't the only RJ employee to pass away. No, no, he wasn't. The... Um... Their Washington-based correspondent, Gary Martin, died uh, during the—he uh, was here in town covering the election and and died in his hotel room. One of their short-lived uh, food critics, uh, uh, Greg Philmont, a friend mm. of mine. Um, Super you know, he nice was there guy. For, he was there for a while. He had to quit for health reasons and subsequently passed away. One of the former editors, no longer with the paper, but who helped oversee some of the uh, October 1st coverage— uh, recently passed away too. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a hard hit newsroom, I would think over there. Yeah. I know from some of the, some of the folks I know over there is definitely a, you know, a, a pall over that, you know, in that sense of having lost some valued colleagues. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, our, our thoughts are with the RJ newsroom and with all of, all of our listeners who've lost someone um, near and dear to them this year. Um, a phrase that I've learned recently that I, that I really enjoy, I think this comes from the Jewish faith tradition, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but uh, may their memories be a blessing. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I just want to acknowledge that I lost my youngest brother this year, and so mm-hmm. that that sentiment strikes especially deeply for me today. Yes, we're thinking of thinking of you and Paul and your family. Well, thank you.
Well, let's shift gears a little bit, tonally even bring us back to something a little more uh, fun and delightful, I think, for the winter season. I don't know about you guys, but I have been freezing this past week. I feel like I've just, I haven't worn enough layers. I think it's gotten really cold in Las Vegas. I want to know how you guys are staying warm because I'm definitely not. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sort of legendary in my family for my tolerance to cold I, or to cool temperatures. I keep the house you know, at a really like meat locker sort of Ugh. temperature most of the time. Oh, that's brutal. That said, the older I get, the less tolerant I am. And so while I still haven't, I'm, I'm that guy who wears shorts and a jacket when it's out, when it's cold outside. So I, oh, I've been throwing no. on a jacket lately, but I am not, a, I'm not reverting to hard pants until the weather absolutely hard demands pants. it. Hard pants. I love Hard that. pants. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say our furnace is still out. It's still a project no. ongoing. And so it's just super chilly. And I'm just, I'm over talking about it because I'm living it. For the benefit of listeners who can't see David on Zoom, he's wearing a beanie and a jacket. And yeah, so many layers. <laughs> and yes. He's very layered up. Yeah, it's a jacket, a cardigan, a shirt, and another shirt. Yep. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I keep looking at our thermostat and, and thinking about the bill versus like how frigid I want to be in the house. And I, I go back and forth. Um, My kingdom for 10 minutes of heat. I'm going to just say right? that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's a fair uh fair fair take on it but i i have been um making every excuse to use the oven whether it's baking or heating up frozen pizza and then after i'm done baking i'll leave the oven open and the kitchen is the warmest place in the house and i just sit there and stand in the kitchen and like soak it up for 10 minutes and it's amazing where does sonia and and the chocolate chip cookies begin <laughs> right <laughs> Well, unfortunately, I live in a modern suburban home, so if I leave the oven open, the fire alarm goes off. So I can't, no. I can't revert to that tactic. I'm afraid. Ah, uh, safety. Uh. Well, thank you both for joining me for this roundup today. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot, as, as always, and I love talking to you guys. Happy to be here. Same seas. All right, so that is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is me, Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Leila Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are David Figler and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuvuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, go tell a friend! Then rate the show, you know, give us a few stars, write some nice words in the reviews. And also don't forget to subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. It's the best thing in your inbox at 6 a.m. Trust me. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. What the, what the red rock, what the red Red walk. What the red walk? It's a really good Vegas-based tongue twister. <laughs> it is. I think everyone should try it.